Are you ready? Yeah. We're good to have you back, Robert. Missed you last week. Are you ready? It feels a little early, doesn't it? Wait a second. He's up there already? Yeah, I know. It's good. God is good. Amen. Amen. We're in Acts chapter 8 this week, so um, yeah, and we're just going to kind of read through it um, little sections at a time. So if you want to open up your Bibles there, that'd be great, and you can follow along. Acts chapter 8. And Saul approved of Stephen's execution. And there arose on that day a great persecution against the church in Jerusalem, and they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Devout men buried Stephen and made great lamentations over him. But Saul was ravaging the church and entering house after house. He dragged off men and women and committed them to prison. Now to those who were scattered, now those who were scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to, uh, to them the Christ. And the, and the crowds, with one accord, paid attention to what was being said by Philip. And when they heard him and saw the signs he did, for unclean spirits, crying out with a loud voice, came out of many who had them. And many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was much joy in the city. Amen? <laughs> much joy in the city. I'm, I'm amazed, I guess, uh, you know, preaching through Acts, maybe for the first time. Uh, it is the first time preaching through Acts, but, but for, for the thing that has been drawing out to me now after the Holy Spirit's been, Holy Spirit's been poured out, right? We had Pentecost, all of that. And then as we see the church begin to kind of, you know, be, be built and, and grow and, and then begins to go out, that the first conversions outside of Jerusalem, the first conversions outside of the Jews was, came about as a result of the ministry and the evangelism of, of Philip, who is not the disciple, not the apostle, but the deacon. You know, I, I've just heard so much in my life uh, over time in different circles theologically this debate, you know, about cessationists, you know, that say that, you know, no, the, the gifts of the Spirit that we experience in the first century, that was just a first century thing. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe there's nobody in the room who's a sensationist, right, that, that thinks that, you know, oh, yeah, that the, the Holy Spirit doesn't continue to pour out his gifts, maybe. Maybe there's nobody in the room, but I'm just, I guess, I'm just kind of amazed, that as I read through and again preach through Acts, I'm like, wait a second. Like, how can we say that it was just something that was centered just in the apostles when you have Philip and even Stephen previous who was healing people and all the, uh, the miraculous works that he was doing? Again, a deacon, not an apostle. And now Philip, he's, you know, I mean, he's empowered by the Holy Spirit to 
to, to heal people, to drive out demons, to, to do all of these things, right? I mean, just like, how do we have this cessationist mindset? But I think more importantly, probably for us, is how can we not expect that he would empower us to do the same things? Because we may not be cessationists in general, but sometimes we're cessationists personally. Like, God can't do that through me. I, I mean, I just don't know, uh, you know, enough about God. I mean, I'm, I'm too broken. My, you know, this, this vessel is just too messed up. There's no way he could do, I mean, I don't spend enough time in prayer. I don't spend enough time in God's word. I don't, I mean, we have all of these amazing excuses that we come up with for why the Holy Spirit cannot empower us to do the things that Jesus did and the apostles did, that Philip did. We kind of put ourselves in this different category, that somehow our sin and our weaknesses are so great that God just can't, can't use us. Nope. Sorry, there is a limit to my grace. There's a limit to what I, I mean, the Holy Spirit's pretty powerful, but I'm sorry, this is just too broken. Can we let go of that? Why do we choose to limit? You know, some of us say, well, I don't have the gift, and I'm going to get into this a little bit later, but I don't have the gift of healing, right? I mean, I don't have that. I didn't have the spiritual gift of healing or of driving out demons or of tongues or whatever. I, I can't do that because I don't have that gift. Whoa, 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 whoa. And again, we'll get there in a minute. So you can't maybe get it at some point? Like, like the Holy Spirit might not just say it, mm, you know what, you'd actually need to have that gift of healing right now. So zap, <laughs> do it, right? Right? I mean, you know, we, we have all these excuses, we have all these reasons, but then we just like, you know, we, it's like we, it's almost like we don't want to have the power of the Holy Spirit moving and working through us. We, we resist it. We, we, we put it off. We, we, we can't do it. But I'm amazed by Philip, who is in Samaria because of persecution. And he goes to Samaria, gets there, and empowered by the Holy Spirit, shares the gospel message, shares about Jesus, and people respond. And he doesn't just share about Jesus. But the Holy Spirit empowers them to heal. I mean, all their sick were coming. He's like healing them, healing them, healing them, right? I mean, they're all filled with joy because of what the Holy Spirit is doing. It's amazing. Through Philip, right? In the time of tension, of persecution, where he just left Jerusalem because, oh my gosh, there's so many. I mean, it's, we're talking about Paul here, right? Saul, before he comes Paul, right? He's like persecuting the church. He's going house to house, dragging them out of the house and putting them in jail, both men and women. And Philip goes to Samaria boldly proclaims. Again, you know, we go, oh, wow, Philip, he was just amazing. I mean, I mean, really, I mean, he was, maybe was an apostle, but he, he obviously was just this powerful man of faith. He was just amazing. He just had this courage. Like, it was just, it was just his personality. He was just an evangelist naturally. Like, this is just the way he was. And uh, wait a second. Again, we're making excuses. 
We do this in Scripture all the time. We elevate Paul. We elevate the disciples. We elevate Moses. We elevate Elijah. We elevate them all up here because if they're up there, then there's no expectation that I have to be there with them. Like, I can't do that. that. They're different than me. They're more holy. They're greater. They're just a better person. I can't do it because I'm too sinful. I'm just a normal person. I have nothing. Philip is just a normal guy who has been given the task of being a deacon in the early church. Persecution comes on. He flees the persecution, goes to Samaria, and the Holy Spirit comes upon him and gives him power to do miracles, to heal, to drive out demons, and to proclaim the gospel message. It's not because he was great. It's because the Holy Spirit came and he was willing. You know, that's, that's what it takes. The Holy Spirit can do whatever he wants, but the one thing he can't do is he can't work with somebody who's not open. I guess I have to be a little careful with that because maybe he can even do that. But I think often he, he won't. Like he wants us to agree with him. He wants us to accept the task. He wants us to, to say, okay, I'm going to do it. I, I, this doesn't make sense. I don't know how it's going to happen. It doesn't, I, I don't have that skill, but I'm willing. Philip refused to be silenced as the Holy Spirit came upon him. He refused to limit the Spirit. He said, come, have your way. And I, and I love that we see this throughout Acts, that the Holy Spirit, or that the gospel message is proclaimed with power. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5, I think I have it on the screen. Paul writing to the Corinthians about when he came and began to build the church in Corinth. And he says, I, and I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or wisdom. For I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and him crucified. Loser, right? He's dead. Like Jesus Christ, like, like loser message. This is like, okay, who wants to follow a dead you know, Savior, right? He's not dead, obviously. But Jesus Christ and him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom. I wasn't like super logical. I kind of made, made some mistakes here. But in demonstrations instead of the Spirit and of power so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. How many in American Christianity today are only Christians because of wise words, a logical religion? How many? How many of us came to Jesus because of a demonstration of power? I talked a couple of weeks ago about encountering Jesus. That he is, you know, salvation is not religion. Salvation is not just some eternal, you know, condition. Salvation is a relationship. Jesus died on the cross, not so that we would obey the Ten Commandments. He died on the cross so that we would follow him. He is the way. He is the truth. He is the life. It's not about living this religious lifestyle. It's about following him. It's about knowing him so that we can follow him. How many of us have come to Jesus 
come to Christianity because of wise words and logical explanations and arguments. Now, there's all kinds of ways that we can come to the Lord and he can use it for his glory and praise the Lord for that. But I think we all need to come and encounter at some point his power. And understand that this is not just a wise philosophy to live by, but that the Holy Spirit is with us and empowering us. And indeed, we are moving into a season in these days, in this time, where the Holy Spirit is going to be poured out in ways we've not seen since the first century. And when that happens, are we open to it? Or are we going to silence it? Are we going to make excuses? How many of us have been <laughs> sensed the Lord tell us to pray for somebody and say, oh, that's not the Lord. I just you know that's just my own thoughts. I just, you know, happen to do this or that. We explain it away, right? Now that wasn't. How many of us have felt like God tell us or inspire us to pray for healing for somebody? We're like, no, no, that can't be it. I'm, I, it's, he doesn't really want to bring healing. He just, you know, no, I'm not, you know, I'm going to pray maybe a little bit about that. How many of us have been inspired in the moment in a conversation to talk about Jesus? We're like, no, no, no this person, they won't want to hear it. And I, who am I? I don't, I mean, what if they ask me a question I can't answer? Yeah, how many of us have limited the Holy Spirit? How many of us have given excuses for why we can't be used, why he can't empower us? We need to be open like Philip. Not silence the spirit, not limit the spirit. But in humility, say, oh Lord, I don't know how you can use such a horribly depraved and broken vessel. But if you choose, I'm willing. Verse 9, but there was a man named Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. <laughs> they all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. But when they believed Philip, as he preached good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon himself believed, and after being baptized, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, he was amazed. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. For he had not yet fallen on any of them. But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. But Peter said to him, May your silver perish with you, because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money. You have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven. For I see that, in you, are in, that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, Pray for me to the Lord that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now when they had testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. 
I'm amazed uh, by another thing. Um, we, man, we as human beings really like control. Um, and, you know, I've done this. Uh, I try not to do this anymore because it just, uh, just because the Lord's convicted me of it. But uh, I've seen, I mean, there's so many books written in this way and there's so many sermons that are preached this way. But there's so many Christians today, leaders, preachers, writers, authors, all that kind of stuff, that, that approach Scripture as if it, like, there, it's this hidden code. Like if, you know, we can just crack the code of Scripture that, then you know, my marriage is going to be the best marriage ever, you know, according to the, you know, seven practices of, you know, uh, you know, I don't know, Ephesians chapter whatever, six, right? You know, whatever, like that we could, you know, we come up with, you know, the seven habits of, you know, highly effective people, right? Great leadership, you know, I mean, if you're going to be a real great leader, well, then you need to study Jesus and how he led. Now, I'm not saying we shouldn't study Jesus, but you know what I'm saying? We approach scripture from this mindset that it's all about principles, like every problem in life can be solved if we just figure it out where it is in scripture and then we put it, write a book or we preach a message that has these principles laid out for us. Now, again, I, you know, I'm not saying that the scripture, the scripture doesn't have principles to live by. Don't, don't mishear me. But I'm amazed at how we love to have formulas. If I do one, two, and three, then I'm going to get four, five, and six. We do this all the time. And we love to make scripture say things, uh, uh, say, say things, like, we love to make scripture guarantees when they're just like, more like wise counsel, right? And, and we do this with Proverbs all the time. We, we grab a, a proverb and, you know, we're like, oh man, this is, this is a proverb. It says that, you know, if, if you really love, you know, God, that your life is going to be amazing. And we, we love to grab that. We, we claim that as like, this is a guarantee now that I, I, if I live my life for Jesus, everything is going to be great, right? But we don't recognize that, like, if you just go to the next book, Ecclesiastes, like, says, uh, yeah, you know, I lived my life and it just didn't turn out. I mean, matter of fact, the people who were evil, they were getting blessed and I was like in the trash and it didn't work. You know what I'm saying? So like we, but we love to have the formula. Like we love to have it. And, and, and that's what we look for. We look in scripture for this, this formula that we can find out so that, so that my life can be lived perfectly so that I can have all my problems worked out, all the relationships that are not working. Well, I just need to follow the formula of scripture. Uh, but we don't like mystery. And we see this in this passage. Um, perhaps, you know, if, you, if you're studied on, on, you know, the baptism of the Spirit, there's, there's a lot of different perspectives, and, and a lot of it centers on this passage here. And, and people will come to this passage in chapter 8, and they go, oh, look, you know, Philip came, and he preached the word, and they were baptized into Jesus, but they weren't baptized into the Spirit. And, oh, and then, and then you know, and Peter and John come, and, and they lay hands on them, and, and then all of a sudden the baptism, now that did happen. I'm not saying that didn't happen. But what we do is we like to look at that and go, oh, well, this, this means that this, this, is the, this is the formula, if we want to be baptized with the Spirit, we have to first hear the word proclaimed. We need to accept that. We need to be baptized like water baptism. And then we need, you know, the preacher or somebody to lay hands on me so that I can then receive the Holy Spirit. 
or there's all other kinds of ways that we try to formulate how we get the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Can we just let the Holy Spirit be the Holy Spirit and move as he pleases? Why do we have to put it into a formula? Why do we have to force this? Why do we have to try to normalize you know, this so that everybody's going to experience Why? I don't understand. There's so many other places where this doesn't happen. I mean, in Acts 2, right? I mean, Peter's just there and he begins to preach, right? And then the Holy Spirit falls. Like, uh, people are filled with the Holy Spirit. People are, receive, the Holy, uh, receive God, right? And receive salvation. Later, a couple of chapters later, Acts 10, same thing, right? Uh, Peter is now preaching to Cor Cornelius and, and his clan. And as he's preaching, all of a sudden the Holy Spirit just falls. Like he's preaching. There's no laying on of hands. There's none of that. All of a sudden, just boom, it happens. So why do we have to f make this into a formula? Why do we have to try to force God into this? This mold that we've created. The reality is, those who bow their knee to Jesus as Lord are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5.17. We are new creations. And how are we new creations? The moment we bow our knee to Jesus as Lord, we become new creations. How? Through the Holy Spirit being indwelt with us. Our spirit and the Holy Spirit comes together. We all have the Holy Spirit the moment we give our life to Jesus. All of us, every one of us are empowered with the Holy Spirit in that moment. We are baptized with the Holy Spirit in that moment. Now, we may not experience, like I said earlier, like sometimes we're like, you know what? I've got the Spirit, but I don't want him to, you know, I don't want to have him have free reign, right? And so we can squelch the Spirit. We can quench the Spirit, right? We can hold it back and say, no, you can't use me. I mean, I know I'm glad I'm filled, but don't use me for anybody else because that's just, it's too broken. That's too, I'll mess it up right? So, so we, can, we can hold back the Spirit, but we have the Spirit. And those who choose to open up their lives to the Holy Spirit, who already are indwelt with the Holy Spirit, will be empowered to do whatever the Spirit wants them to do. Yeah. We do this same formula thing with gifts of the Spirit as well. I, you know, I... I, I this, this passage, we have to ask the question, right? Like, so if the, you know, why did Peter and John get sent? Right? I think that's a valid question. Why, you know, Philip goes, preaches, all these, you know, miracles are happening. So Holy Spirit's there. Holy Spirit's happening. It's working. And, 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 and doing all these miracles. And then people believe in Jesus. And, and there's, you know, baptism with water and all of that kind of... So what's going on here? Why did Peter and John come? Why did, the Why did the Holy Spirit not come on them until Peter and John came and laid hands on them? Why? Why would that happen? What's going on? What's different about this? And here's the reality. First of all, we need to understand that what, the reason they even sent Peter and John was because what was going on in Samaria was strange. What they'd experienced in Jerusalem, anytime somebody received Jesus... They received the Spirit. There was an obvious manifestation of the Holy Spirit in them. They were like, I'm, I'm saved. They're saved, obviously. Philip goes to Samaria, preaches the word, and all of a sudden there's not this obvious manifestation of the Spirit. And so they're like, what's going on? You know, we need to see it send Peter and John to figure out what's going on. I think that's part of what's going on here. But the second piece I think is important. 
The Holy Spirit, I think, was holding himself back from being totally, ba- totally poured out on the Samarit- Samaritans until Peter and John came because there were so many divisions already in Jerusalem, right? We know the Samaritans were not accepted as full Jews, right? There was this clash, this battle between them. They were, they, there was already this huge division. And so, so, so I think God knew, like, he's like, okay, if we have a baptism of the Holy Spirit here in Jerusalem, and then we have a separate one over here, like, are they going to play together? Are they going to play nice? Or do they think, oh, we've got a different, you know, we've got Philip's spirit. And so I think part of what's going on here, and we see this again with Peter going to the Gentiles, Cornelius, we see that. So, so I think what's going on here is the Holy Spirit's like, look, you guys need to know that it's the same spirit. We are all one. There's not this, you know, Jerusalem church. There's not this Samaria church. There's not these separate. No, we're all one church. We're all baptized with the same spirit. And so having Peter and John come and lay on hands was just like the affirmation that yes, what they have received, what they have heard is from God. It is the gospel and the Holy Spirit is here. Affirming the message that they believed and that they were full members of God's family. So we do this controlling thing, I think, with spiritual gifts as well, just to to briefly hit that. I think there's two manifestations that we generally see of the Spirit, according to Scripture, uh, spiritual gifts and spiritual fruit, right? So uh, the gifts of the Spirit and the gift, the fruit of the Spirit. Those are, I think, the two primary, Galatians 5.22 and 1 Corinthians 12. Uh, 1 Corinthians 12.7 talks about the manifestation of the Spirit will be given for all for the common good. And Galatians 5.22, of course, is the, that, that list of fruits of the Spirit. Uh, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. Thank you. I always forget that one. Self-control. All right. Um, so I think there's two, but here's what we do. I think we sometimes, uh, we, we, we want to make them formula as well. Like we want to control spiritual gifts. I kind of mentioned this a little bit earlier. You know, we feel like when we come to Christ, you know, he gives us the Holy Spirit. And so because we have the Holy Spirit, now we have spiritual gifts. And, and so we then like, oh, what is your spiritual gift? Like we need to know what our spiritual gift is, right? And, and, I, and I think in part we do. We need to know, like we need to see, again, it's back to power, that we're not just receiving some religion. We're not just receiving some, you know, uh, a philosophy of life, but that we actually are receiving power. And so the manifestations of the Spirit, I think, are important, both in gifts and in the fruit, Right? But we want to, you know, for, we want to formulate, make it a formula of some sort. So here's what we do with gifts. Oftentimes we grab a gift, we get a gift, and we think, oh my gosh, this is my gift. This is my gift forever. Oh my gosh, God gave me the gift of tongues, so I have the gift of tongues forever. So this is my thing, right? And so we, we glad, grab onto it, and we think that it's ours. We think that we control it. I think there's a lot of faith, quote-unquote, faith healers who at one point indeed had the gift of healing, but they assumed that that gift was theirs to control forever. They stopped relying on the Holy Spirit to bring the healing when he wanted it. And then when the healings didn't happen, they began to try to basically manipulate it into something. But we do this on a small scale as well. Those who maybe have given the gift of healing 
speaking words of life or prophecy over others. The assumption is I always have that gift. The assumption is everything I think (laughs) is a prophecy over, right? And then we begin to speak presumptuously. And if it doesn't come out right, or if it somehow doesn't fit, then we kind of blame them, or we, you know, sometimes we blame ourselves, or whatever. We think, oh my gosh, what's happening? But he controls how he manifests. And this problem, when we grab onto one, uh, when we grab onto a, a spiritual gift as well, there's another problem with that. Not just that we own it, we try to own it and control it, but second, we, we close ourselves off to everything else. Why? Like, this is my one gift. I, I've had people tell me, like, they, they you know, come to a church, you know, first time or getting to know, you know, a church or whatever. And I say, hey, well, you know, where do you want to serve? And they go, oh, we got to serve this way. And they go, well, what about this area? We got this area over here we need. Well, that's not my gifting. So I won't, I need to serve in my gifting. God's gifted me this way. And like, I understand, like, we all need to serve in our gifting. But what are we doing? Closing off what maybe the Lord wants from us. Like, like, oh, he can't empower me for that. What? What? What are we doing? But we do this. Again, we want control. Because then if, you know, if I know what my gift is and I have control over my gift, I don't ever have to think about another gift. I never have to be put in a situation where my life gets disrupted and it's uncomfortable. I never have to be put in a situation where I've actually got to turn my eyes on Jesus and say, help me, Lord, because I can't do this. We need to think, be careful how we view spiritual gifts. Fruit of the Spirit, we got to be careful with that as well. A lot of times we, we try to make fruit of the Spirit happen. It is, again, it's the fruit of the Spirit. If the Spirit is in you, if we're allowing the Spirit to operate, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control will happen. It's not something we can conjure up on our own. If you're not experiencing those fruit, then you go to the Holy Spirit. You say, go to Jesus. Lord, Lord, help me. I need more gentleness in my life. Allow your Holy Spirit to pour out of me, right? Allow your Holy Spirit to make that happen in me. You know, this is where we, we fall down all the time with sanctification. We think, you know, sanctification is about behavior management, right? And those who are most self-controlled among us, who have just, for whatever reason, personality-wise, are most self-controlled among us, they always win the sanctification battle, Right? <laughs> Because they've got it all figured out. They know how to, you know, to discipline their life so that they are in control. And then they get prideful. Like, you know, look at me. I'm the most holy in the room, obviously, because look how big my Bible is. Right? You know what I'm saying? And, and, and this is, but self-control is a gift of the Spirit. Do you get that? Like, if you've gotten an extra dose of self-control, it's not because you're great. And we get prideful about the fruit of the Spirit. Like, no, no. And we also, again, we're trying to make it happen. We're trying to strive for it. No, we strive for Jesus and Jesus alone. There are too many of us in this world looking and striving for the gifts of Jesus, for the fruit of the Spirit. We're looking for for him to do something for us instead of just seeking Jesus. Do you know Jesus? Do you love Jesus? Have you encountered Jesus? He's the thing that we do. He is the life of sanctification. He's the one. Again, he's the way, the truth, the life. He is the way. Not discipleship, not discipline, not, you know, spiritual disciplines, not spiritual gifts, not spiritual fruit. He is the way. Jesus is the way. Can you see him? Are you following him? 
We all need the Spirit's affirmation, I think, in our life. And that comes, I think, through, again, gifts and the fruit. And we should have a combination of both of those in our life. But again, they're not something that we own. They're something that is manifested through us. Um, I'm struck by Simon in this story. And as I was prepping this, I was like, oh, no, 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 no. We can't say that, Lord. Um, Because Simon is like this guy, right? He's this magician. And he kind of looks like he has maybe some kind of conversion, you know, experience after Philip's preaching and all the miracles. But then like Peter and John show up, lay hands and the guy, I mean, it's like so obvious. Like, oh my gosh, this is powerful stuff. And he's like, hey, what do I got? How much, how much, how much does that cost, man? I want some of that, right? I want to be able to go around and lay hands, right? And, 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 and then, and then Peter like just goes off on him, right? It's so good, right? So beautiful. We go, ah, that's great. But here's what came to me. It's like, Some of us as believers, I think, treat Jesus that way. Like, Jesus, oh, that's really cool. I just, I just saw this other person. Like, they just spoke in tongues, man, and they prayed in tongues. It was amazing. Oh, my gosh, I want that. How much did I have? What do I got to do to get that? Oh, my gosh, Lord, that, that person just prayed. And they, they got healed, Lord. That was amazing. It was so awesome right here in front of me. I just saw him. It was like so obvious. Lord, I want that. How much do I have to get to that? I mean, how much? What are we chasing after? Simon's issue is he's chasing after the sign, the power, instead of chasing after the one who's powerful. I think especially with tongues, and I think it's because there's been maybe some some uh, theological tracts that have elevated tongues to this special place where if you don't speak in tongues that you don't have the spirit or you're not saved and this kind of thing, different, different levels of that. And, and I, I hear sometimes Christians that like that's their pursuit is the gift of tongues. And, and I, I don't know, I think the gift of tongues is pretty cool. I don't personally have it. Um, I don't have a problem with people that do have it. I mean, that's cool. Like it's awesome. But I, but I wonder, like, you know, are they, is that just all they want? Is, is it just about the tongues thing? And, you know, you go, well, well, but look at, you know, Acts. I mean, there's just tongues all over the place, right? And, and yeah, but, you know, I was thinking, you know, why? Is it because tongues are so amazing? Is it because they're more powerful and better than all the other gifts? Like, Why? Well, if you know a little bit, I mean, partly it was a language issue, right? Like going into these other cities, like to be able to speak maybe in their tongue, like that might help your cause, right? Like to be able to share the gospel message, like without having to learn the language, right? I mean, you know what I'm saying? So, you know, I, this thought came to me, like, what if, what if today, well, let's ask this question. What would, be the, what would be the thing, the gift, that would be really important for us today? Like maybe on the mission field, maybe tongue still would have, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a, something for that, right? But you know, we got Google Translate now, right? So, hey, you know I mean? <laughs> but, but, but what about us here in America where there's, there's not a language barrier? What would be the gift 
Like if we were to write Acts again today, what would be the, what would be the gift that we would see over and over and over again? And I, I don't know, but I, I wonder if maybe the gift of mercy might see the thing we see over and over again. Or even thought maybe the gift of generosity. Nobody likes that gift. Right? You know, don't, don't make Scripture into a formula. Just because the gift of tongues was kind of a big deal in Acts doesn't mean that it's better than any other gifts or that that's still the same today. Because if we understand and know who the Holy Spirit is, if he dwells within us, he will give us what we need in the moment to expand his kingdom. It's not about just getting the gift of tongues so that I can have this sign that the Holy Spirit is in me. Matter of fact, I think we miss the sign because too many of us are looking for the, the glorious, you know, the big, you know, supernatural signs like healing or like tongues, right? Why, why can't we be just as assured of our salvation when all of a sudden the Lord gives us that gift of generosity? And we're just one of those people that, you know, we never have much, but we're just always giving away. Why, why are we like, wow, you know what? I couldn't do that on my own. This is, this is a Holy Spirit thing. Let's finish off the chapter here. Verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, rise and go toward the south to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert place. And he rose and went, and there was an Ethiopian, a, a eunuch, a, a court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. <laughs> and the spirit said to Philip, go over to join this chariot. So Philip ran to him, <laughs> heard him reading Isaiah, and asked, do you understand what you're reading? And he said, how can I unless someone guides me? And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the passage of scripture that he was reading was like, was this, like a sheep, he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before it shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe this generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with that scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here's water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they come up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, and went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Ozotus. <laughs> and as he passed through the preach, he preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. Oh my gosh, can you believe this? <laughs> he's having this amazing experience to Samaria. He's, you know, the Holy Spirit is pouring out. He's healing people. People are coming to know Jesus. It's amazing. We just had Peter and John come down. They laid hands on baptized. Oh my gosh, it's amazing. And then God says, all right, it's time to go. Well, wait a second, God, this is really cool. There's stuff going on right now. What, what, what do you mean? No, he just says, all right, you want me to go to the desert? Sweet, let's go, <laughs> right? And then he's going, and this chariot comes by. And God says, hey, go run alongside the chariot. And the guy just happens to be, I mean, think about this. 
You know, we talk about con- you know, uh, coincidences all the time, right? Come on. If you're still believing in coincidences, please give it up. Yeah. Just stop. There are no coincidences, all right? God just, he orchestrates. It's, it blows your mind. Uh, literally blows your mind. Blows your mind that he brought Philip to this particular place, that he brought this Ethiopian to this particular place at this particular, I mean, th- th- unbelievable that this could happen. Right? And so we have to understand this reality that we need to be listening to the Holy Spirit. We need to trust his voice. We need to follow his lead. I love the fact that our teenagers got fired up by the Holy Spirit last week and said, you know what? We need to take this to the street. We, we need to get out there and we need to share the love of Jesus with people. And so they go up to Tim and they say, Tim, we've got to write, we, we want to write scripture on cards and we want to go out to the parks and to the streets and we want to start handing them out and praying for people. Like this is, this, I, I didn't lead this, Tim didn't lead this, no adult led this, our teenagers led it. Praise the Lord. They're the ones that are inspired. They're hearing the Holy Spirit. Are we going to stand back and say, oh, that's not really, oh, you're so cute, kids. Oh, so sweet. Oh, my gosh. You know, maybe someday when you get older, you'll be less spirit-led. <laughs> right? I'm telling you, we have to be listening. Listening to the things that are going around us. Listening to things that are going inside of us. Listen to the to scripture as we read it. What is he saying to us? What, how is he leading us? Where is he speaking? That we would have the courage to just get up, even if everything is going great, and just go, I guess I got to go, right? And it's just like amazing. And then to be waiting to listen for what the Lord says. How many chairs do you think went by before this guy with a unit came by? The unit came by, right? How many? Do you think about that? Like, we don't know. It doesn't say. But I can't imagine that this road is just like some isolated road where nobody ever travels it. Even though if that's the case, it's just as amazing. But I would imagine there was probably chariots going by pretty regularly on this road. And he probably was standing there and going, all right, Jesus, what am I doing now, right? Holy Spirit, what's up next, right? You know? And then all of a sudden, that one. Oh, okay. Right? Are we listening? And are we obeying? Can we let him set our agendas? I'm sorry, but disruptions happen in life. Sometimes they're prompted by the Holy Spirit. Sometimes they're prompted by the evil one. Both disruptions can be and will be used by God if we will stop being disrupted by the disruption. And just say, all right, God, what's going on now? How are we going to get through this day? What do you have for me in this, right? God uses Satan's disruptions all the time to put people just in the right spot so that they will be able to proclaim the gospel to the one he wants them to proclaim it to. Right? So how long are we going to continue with our own agendas? How long are we going to continue to just ignore God? How long are we going to wake up, hit our feet, hit the ground, and go out and go about and do our thing, do our schedule, do our routine, and never once even consider or ask Jesus what he has for us that day? How long are we going to ignore the whispers in our ear where God says, this person, talk to him now. How long are we going to resist that? 
How long are we going to say, no, that can't be you, God. I am too broken of a vessel. No, that can't be. You can't use me in that way. No, I don't prophesy over people. I don't get words for people. I don't have healing powers. I don't have this gift of tongues. I don't have the ability to evangelize. I don't, how, many, how long? Jesus is here. He is moving. He is personal. He's intimate with you. And he can use you because he's filled you with your Holy Spirit. He is on the move. Are you willing to join him? Or are you stuck? You stuck with all the weaknesses. Are you stuck with all the excuses? Are you stuck with your routine? Are you stuck in this world's perception of what we should be doing? reality is, is not only does the Holy Spirit move as he desires and in ways that we don't understand, he's doing new things. Scripture is great for us to read and to understand how God has moved and worked in the past, but it is not there for us to make normative for all of time. It's not there for us to say, oh, well, this is how it happened then, so that's how it's going to happen now. No, it says that God created us out of love, for love. We rejected that love because we thought we could do it better. We thought that we could control things, and we wanted that control. And then we were destined for eternity, totally separated from love and from all that was good. But Jesus, but God said, no, I'm not giving up. And he sent Jesus to come and to pay the price for that sin. Why? So that we can then be his slave? God does not want us as slaves. He wants us as his children, sons and daughters. Sons and daughters know what their father is doing. We know because we have the Holy Spirit. And he's asking us to join him. Trusting that he will empower us. He knows how broken we are. But that doesn't keep him from doing what he wants to do. If we will just be open to it. Okay, worship team, come on up. Are you limiting the spirit? I think if, you know, if we're believers, for all believers in here, we all have the spirit. We all have them. We're all baptized with them. We, we've got the Holy Spirit in us. Not just a little baby spirit. We got the full thing, right? The whole, you know, adult-sized spirit in us. Are you limiting them? Are you limiting them because of your abilities, because of your situation in life, because of the season that you're in? Are you limiting them because of persecution? You're afraid of persecution? Are you limiting them because of your weaknesses? Are you limiting them because you just don't think you're holy enough? Are you limiting them because you just, you know, nah, that would be just too much of a disruption? Like, I don't want to be known as one of them? Going to the mall this afternoon to pass out scripture. Like, are you afraid of going because you don't want to be seen as one of them? 
I, I got a little snarky with one of my follow-up questions. I don't know if you looked at the sermon notes, but at the bottom there, the, the, third, the, the third question, what is so important in your life that you are unwilling to follow the Spirit's lead? Um, you, know what I'm, you know what I'm saying? I, we're so worried about certain things that I, I don't know that, why we're worried about that. Are you trying to control the Spirit? You know, this is the greatest adventure, walking with Jesus. You know, John 3 talks about this fact that, you know, the spirit is like the wind. And the wind, we don't know where it's coming from. We don't know where it's going, right? But that's the spirit. Like, if we're going to be people who walk by the spirit, it's, it's kind of crazy. And, you know, you show up on Sunday morning and the pastor's like, oh, we're going to mix up everything. We're going to do crazy things. We're going to do stuff that we're not comfortable. And it's going to be, oh, no, no, this is, this is what it is. This is what happens when we're, when we're led by the spirit. And I do believe I'm led by the spirit. I do believe I'm listening to the spirit. I do believe that I'm open to the Spirit, not because I'm great, not because I'm holy, not because, oh man, the pastor is just such a great, no, I'm just as depraved as you. I'm just as messed up as you. Some of you, like my wife, really knows how messed up I am. Amen. <laughs> Are you hearing... And are you obeying? Are you listening? And if you're listening, are you obeying? Have the courage. The next time he speaks, he whispers in your ear. Or the next time you just like get this sense like, oh, I need it. Just do it. Take the risk. Just do it. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be awesome. He's not going to let you down. You don't have to don't worry about him failing. Okay, we've got some time for worship. And... Um, I just, I just want to say this, that, you know, part of the reason we've kind of made this shift is so that I could preach longer. No. Um, <laughs> so, so that I, I, I've felt in my own heart um, like our structure you know, on Sunday mornings has actually been limiting the spirit a little bit, especially when it comes to music. And so... Um, I wanted to give Grace and Laura, when she comes back, the freedom to kind of allow the spirit to lead a little bit more in that. And so I wanted to leave space at the end of the service for us to just kind of worship. But I also, I want to give you guys space as well. Like um, it's, you know, we've got maybe, you know, five, seven, eight minutes left in the service. Um, I actually, I feel like we need to move communion to next week. And so we're going to do that. Um, I actually felt this yesterday, and I should have made the move, but I didn't. Anyway, but we're, so we're, we're not going to take communion this morning. Um, we're just going to spend some time in worship. Now, if you need to go, like, I just want to encourage you. It's okay. Like, listen to the Holy Spirit. If he says, like, get up and go, or if it's time to move on, uh, do what you got to do there. But if you feel like the Lord is wanting you to stay in here and continue to worship, then do that as well. And, and we're going to have people up here praying. So if you'd like to come and get prayer, if you're struggling with, you know, listening to the Holy Spirit, you just need somebody to help pray, or you feel like, you know, you just need to have a greater awareness, like, come, we'll pray for you. We'd love to, right? And so, uh, so we're going to do a song or two, and then I'll come up and I'll, I'll, I will read like a closing benediction uh, verse. And then, you know, kind of you guys can just kind of, and we'll keep playing though. So afterwards, so just kind of get it. Okay. Heavenly <laughs> Father, we thank you so much for who you are and your amazing love for us. Jesus, we thank you that you came and you gave your life for us, like literally, <laughs> while we were still sinners, Lord, you died for us. 
Thank you, Jesus. And, and, and it's you that we pursue. It's you that we keep our eyes on. It's you, are, you're the one that we get to experience that intimate relationship with. It's you that uh, we get to be friends with. It's you that we get to know and to enjoy. It's you who reveals to us who we are. And Lord, because of that sacrifice, because of God's great love, you've also desired for oneness with us, and so you've given us the Holy Spirit. Lord, I pray that you would help all of us to recognize the Holy Spirit in us. That, Lord, that we would not just have a philosophy of life, but that, Lord, we would have power for life. Lord, that we would recognize the Holy Spirit in us as moving and working and empowering us each day. And, Lord, we thank you for what you're going to do in that. We ask that you would continue to empower us. Help us to open up our hearts and our lives to you. Open up, help us to open our minds to you. That you would be glorified and that you would have your way and that you would use us for your glory. Use us to build your kingdom. Lord, there's no greater experience in life than to be working alongside Jesus. So Lord, thank you for what you're going to do and how you've poured out your spirit in us. And may we begin to experience more fully what the first century church did. Verse two, chapter 2, verse 17. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. On your sons and your daughters shall prophesy, and your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams, even on male servants and female servants. In those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day. And it shall come to pass that everyone who calls in the name of the Lord shall be saved. In Jesus' name, amen. Allow the Lord to lead you now. And if uh, it's out into the fellowship hall, then please do so. And allow the doors to close behind you. If it's to stay here and continue to sing in song or to come forward and receive prayer, please do that as well. Uh, God bless you. And hope to see you this afternoon about you know, 1, 1.15 as we head over to the mall. And uh, we'd love to have you join if that works. Thanks.